Well, good morning, church. I wanted to begin uh, by inviting Denise Krasinski up, please. And uh, we want to hear a testimony now. Uh, I've asked Denise just simply to share with you how the Lord is using her and has used her at work in a very wonderful testimony uh, right around the Easter season, I believe, last year. So, Denise, you're amongst friends here. I've never actually made it through one of these without breaking down, so I'm trusting this is going to be my first time. (laughs) For those of you who don't know me, I'm a nurse. I work in a trauma ICU at Memorial Hospital in Hollywood. I'm accustomed to being in the middle of intense situations, and I have a reputation as a nurse who can manage difficult patients. However, on this particular day, God had a plan, I think. (laughs) The Saturday before Easter, a few years ago, I showed up at work and was assigned a troublesome young man who had been shot in the abdomen. He was sick, in pain, and hard to handle, so I agreed to take him. The morning was busy and stressful. He grumbled and complained incessantly, frequently yelling out obscenities. When several of his friends arrived, the abusive language intensified and the room heated up. I was in his room, guiding him through his therapy and doing my best to keep him comfortable and calm as I could while explaining to his family and friends what was happening and why it was all necessary, all to no avail. They berated the hospital, they berated the care he had received in this ICU, they berated me. After hours of dealing with him, I had just had enough. I walked out of the room and I called my charge nurse to let her know I could not take care of him anymore. As I walked over to speak with her, one of his friends came out of the room to complain some more. I turned to him and I told him, I am done with you people. Go back to your room. The charge nurse will be in to speak with you in just a minute. It was not a pretty sight. Nurses are supposed to be patient and always beautiful. This is not always the case. Okay. However, um... I was quickly assigned to another patient, and I avoided his room for the rest of the day. However, the next day was Easter, and I felt so guilty about my outburst. I felt like a failure in my walk with Christ. Have you ever felt that way? I just kept hearing Jesus say, if you have anything against your brother, leave your sacrifice at the altar and go make it right. It's where the light meets the dark that the healing begins, but I protested. He was such a gangster to myself, I said. He was such a gangster, such a rude, self-centered brat. But Christ was speaking to me. I could find no peace for my soul, so I determined to apologize that evening. After dinner with my family, I picked up a Bible and I headed to the hospital, bracing myself for the sneering faces of his family and friends. I thought about Christ walking to the cross while surrounded by people spitting on him and insulting him, and I prepared to tell my enemies about my Jesus and how he had died on the cross for all of our sins. Mm. But when I got to the hospital, I found he had been transferred out of the ICU, and my heart sunk because the patient rooms upstairs fit a lot more people. (laughs) So, So I marched myself up there. However... When I arrived in his room, the lights were out. So I knocked on his door, and I let myself in as I introduced myself. His room was silent and so dark that we couldn't even see each other. Hi, Jason. Obviously, that's not really his name. Hi, Jason. Remember me? I'm the nurse who took care of you yesterday. His voice trembled. No, I don't remember you. I don't remember having problems with you. We are fine. He was terrified. His room was so dark. I, first, I couldn't see him in the bed, so I walked over, and I sat next to him, and I began to tell him about Christ. Hmm. I told him how I was sorry about my behavior. I told him how my lack of patience the day before was so unlike the way Jesus deals with our sins. Hmm. So I told him about the cross, and I told him about... Um, the forgiveness of sinners like us. And we spoke about how our sins are so wicked in God's sight that he had to send his son to die on the cross so we could be forgiven. But also that his forgiveness is so complete that he forgives us, uh, forgives our sins as far as the east is from the west. 
So I ended our conversation by giving him a Bible, and I prayed with him. He held that Bible so tightly to his chest, it was as if it were a life vest. He thought I was there to finish him off that night. <laughs> you know, we have no idea the lives that people are living around us. What are they struggling with inside? Well, the next day was Monday, and my boss called me at home about the dispute on the previous Saturday. She began, that was the sweetest service recovery I have ever heard of. And I said, I asked what she was talking about. I didn't know what she was talking about. Turned out that somebody had reported me to the administrator for my outburst with the patient's friend, but my patient's mother was so thankful that I had spoken to her son the night before that she asked them not to reprimand me. Mm. Rather, she placed all the blame on her son's friends and ended up commending me for giving her son a Bible and a chocolate bunny. <laughs> I said, what chocolate bunny? I don't know where that chocolate bunny came from, but I do know this. The Lord was at work in that place to bring glory to his name and to redeem me once again. So for those of you who are like me are often discouraged at your repeated fall from grace, remember that salvation is not a seamless event. It's not a single event, but rather a seamless fountain of grace poured out on us as we submit to the living word of God. So be encouraged. It says in Psalms 147, 10 and 11, His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor is delight in the legs of a man. The Lord fears though, delights in those who fear him and put their hope in his unfailing love. Amen. Well, as we prepare to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, this is a season that most people are inclined to come to church. And whether it's through an incredible testimony like that, or for most of us, most likely it's not going to be something as dramatic as that. We're not involved in life or death situations. We're not confronted with gangsters that have just been shot in the abdomen and all their gangster friends. Uh, But... We are all out in the workforce. We're all out there at school. And so we've given you a couple of tools that you can use to invite people to our Palm Sunday service next Sunday morning where we're going to be celebrating baptisms as part of the service right out front. We have a portable baptistry that we are going to be using from the Baptist Convention. After Jim preaches on Christ's Uh, triumphal entry to Jerusalem. We're going to have people come up here and give a very brief confession of their faith. Then they're going to go get changed into the uh, uh, clothes they're going to wear for the baptism. Then we're going to baptize them right out front. So invite people. Invite lots of people. And then talk to them about what baptism is all about. That's Palm Sunday. Then on Good Friday, 730, we're going to be preaching here about the, the death of Christ. And then Easter Resurrection Sunday, we'll be preaching a message, Jesus is alive. So we've created a card for you. That, that it has all three of those events with three questions. You know, why the palm in Palm Sunday? What's so good about Good Friday? And who rose from the dead on Easter morning? So three questions. Come, come hear the answer on three Sundays. And so uh, the pastors are going to be at the doors at the end of the service passing out these cards, also with some of our business cards. Use these. You know, pray about who you can invite. Bring them with you that they might hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. The title of our message this morning is, How Justification Works. How Justification Works. And so we've been talking about justification. We've been talking about what it is. In Romans chapters 1 to 4, It defined our need for justification. It defined God's provision of justification. And then it defined how we receive justification. We receive justification by faith alone in Christ Jesus alone. And then we talked about how chapter 5 is sort of a transitionary chapter. In fact, it begins this next section, chapters 5 through 8. They really talk about the fruits of justification, the hope that justification gives us. And then as we move into chapters 6, 7, and 8, sanctification, which is the, the, the product of justification. As we've been made right with God, God begins to change our lives, a process, so we become more and more like Jesus. 
what the Bible calls sanctification. And last week we discussed the five fruits of justification. The five fruits of justification. Today's message is, how in the world can we receive these five fruits of justification by faith in what someone else did? How does that work? How does justification work? And just to remind you, if you look at the five fruits of justification, chapter 5, verse 1, the first fruit is we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 2a, through Jesus Christ, we've obtained access to grace by which we can stand in God's presence, not flee God's presence. Chapter 2, chapter 5, verse 2b, through Christ Jesus, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God in a decidedly non-glorious world. Chapter 5, verses 3 through 8, the fruit of justification is that God's love is poured into our hearts. Man, we're going to study that in detail on night, this coming Saturday night at my house. And He's poured that love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given us. This is a fruit of justification. This is only for those who've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, verses 9 to 10, we have an assurance of our salvation. And then chapter 5, verse 11, the verse that precedes our text this morning, it says this, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So how is it that all of these fruits of justification are received by faith by trusting in what Jesus has done? How does that work? How is God able to do this based on Christ's actions, but yet he gives us the fruits of those actions? How is that possible? How does God do this? I mean, it, you know, it's the same way we ask ourselves that question when we see something amazing. Amy, who plays the piano, is a wonderful artist. And whenever I've seen her do her art, I've been to her house. It's, it's unbelievably beautiful and detailed. And I ask, how does she do that? You know, when, when I watch a golfer who's like half my size effortless, effortlessly drive the ball 300 yards, I think, how does he do that? When I, when I see something on television, maybe a life-saving operation by a surgeon or a beautiful dance that is so grateful, graceful, I think, how do they do that? I appreciate it, but I ask myself this question, how is this possible? And so... The greatest thing that I've ever seen is that I get all of those fruits I just read because of what Christ done. How does God do that? How justification works is, is the theme of these verses, verses 12 to 21. Why does justification come to us by faith in what someone else has done? God, how does that work? Well, he reveals it to us in this text so that we can be sure that we have these fruits of justification. Let us look, let us read to see how it's possible, how it works. How do you do that, God? So let's pray. Let's pray and ask God to give us understanding of just how justification works so that we can obtain confidence, a certitude, about the, the fruits of justification in our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, I pray that you would anoint my lips to preach your word. And I pray that you would anoint the lips of those, or the ears of those who are listening to hear your word, that you might build your church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read the text together, church. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, how justification works. Listen carefully. Therefore, remember that therefore ties us into what I just read in Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type 
of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more had the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Paul is explaining how the fruits we read about in verses 1 to 11 are received through faith alone in Christ alone. He's explaining how justification works. How these fruits are given to us by the actions of Jesus Christ. How we can have hope of the glory of God. Hope of life in Christ in the midst of sin and death. Sin and death that we experience and see in this world. How can we be confident we have these fruits of justification when all around us all we see is sin and death? In fact, Every day, approximately 7,000 people die here in the United States of America. Now, most of us live our lives largely unaware of that fact until one of those 7,000 daily deaths has a name and a face attached to it that we recognize. And that was the case for me about a week and a half ago when on Tuesday, March the 25th, Bob Abeg passed away. Now, if you're new to the church, Bob... Abeg is the father of Kevin Abeg. Kevin is a former community group leader here at Palm Vista. Kevin is a dear friend to many of us. And last fall, Kevin, his wife Claudia, and their two boys, Jeremy and Nicholas, moved out to the San Francisco Bay Area to care for Kevin's dad, for Bob, as Bob was in the final days of his life with pancreatic cancer. Here is what Kevin wrote on his website the day after Bob passed. Quote, Yesterday afternoon, we said farewell to my dad, Robert Leland Abeg, around 545. He had a rough week due to the pain, but in the end, went rather peacefully and surprisingly quickly in God's mercy. We will be, he will be dearly missed by many, and we thank you all who have poured out your love to him in the past days and continue to intercede for the family in the days ahead. We did not say adios, goodbye to my dad, but, hasta luego, until later. We know, no is in caps, we will see him again and rejoice, thanking our Lord for this certainty. How can you know, Kevin, that you will see your father again? How can Kevin thank his Lord for the certainty of eternal life in the face of the painful death he watched pancreatic cancer visit on his father? See, what we're asking here is what is the ground for Kevin's certainty, for his confidence? What is the ground for our confidence when we look into the face of death or into the face of sin? How can we be sure that we will experience the life-changing peace with God and hope of His glory promised to us as a fruit of justification? How does justification work? Show me how it works. 
I experienced something so wonderful. What you're telling me in these five or six fruits of justification now, they're so wonderful. How can I experience that? I don't deserve it. How can I experience what Jesus' actions earn? How does that work? Here's God's answer. He introduces us to two of the most important men that have ever lived. In fact, he introduces us to two men whose actions and their implications determine our future. And we're going to study those right now. These two men represent us all. I'm speaking, of course, of the two Adams that we just read about. These two Adams are contrasted and compared in Romans 5, 12 through 21. And these two Adams and the way they determine our destiny give us the answer of how justification works. The first Adam of the earth who disobeyed God in the garden. And the second Adam of heaven who obeyed his father on the cross. One of them, friends, represents you this morning. And it's very important that you understand which one. And you say, what? No one represents me. I represent myself. Wrong. No. Quoting Martin Lloyd-Jones in this screen here, God has always dealt with mankind through a head and representative. The whole story of the human race can be summed up in terms of what has happened because of Adam, the first Adam, and what has happened and will yet happen because of Christ, the second Adam. Here's the main point of what this text teaches us. Here's the main point of the sermon. The first Adam brought sin and death. The second Adam brings grace and life. The first Adam brought sin and death, and the second Adam brings grace and life. And it's so important for you to ask yourself, which one of these two Adams is my representative? Oh, one of them is, trust me. One of them is the head of that segment of humanity to which you belong. Which one is it? Very important question. Point one, let's look at the first Adam. The first Adam. The actions of the first Adam affect all men. Look at the text. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, that one man is Adam, the first Adam, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. What do we learn here? We learn here that Adam, the first Adam, chose to rebel against God And the reference here is to the one sin that Adam did in the Garden of Eden, the original sin. And because of that disobedience of God, sin entered into the world. That's what verse 12 says. Now, the astounding thing that verse 12 says is that sin introduced death. Okay, maybe that's not so astounding. But here's the astounding part. The last words of verse 12. And because of Adam's sin, death spread to all men... And the reason for that is that all men sinned. Wait a second. I wasn't in the garden. I didn't disobey God. I wasn't the one who was the malcontent that when God gave me paradise, a beautiful wife, every tree that I could enjoy as fruit, I was ruling and reigning under God's authority, having dominion over all of God's creation. I wasn't the one like my son, (laughs) when I say, son, you can have everything in this house, just don't touch that hot stove. Of course, what does my son do? He goes immediately to the hot stove. I didn't do that. Adam did that. The scripture says you did that. What? Yes. The scripture says you did that. That's what verse 12 says. This is not going to help us understand how in the world Jesus' actions can be given to me. I can be given the good of Jesus' actions. Why? Because verse 12 teaches me in the rest of these verses that the bad of what Adam did is mine. I know that's hard. And if you're here as an unbeliever, you may be bucking against that. Even if you're a believer, you're bucking against that. You're saying to me, hey, Al, wait a second. Wait a second. Adam's my representative? Yes, he is. But I didn't choose him to be there. No, you didn't. But God did. 
In fact, God created Adam to be your representative. God created Adam to be the perfect representative. And if had you been there, you wouldn't have been as good a representative as Adam. Adam was the perfect representative for every human being that ever lived, that ever lives now, and ever will live. And Adam failed. And he rebelled. And that sin is now ascribed to every single individual that ever was, is, or will be. It's called original sin. Wait a second. I don't like that. At least let me choose my representative. I mean, R.C. Sproul says it this way, no condemnation without representation. (laughs) Taking from the Boston Tea Party. That works with the Boston Tea Party. It doesn't work with this. Why? Because you couldn't have chosen a better representative. This is part of repentance, friend. Will you repent and agree with God? It's hard, isn't it? That's why Jesus, when he came preaching the kingdom of God, he said, repent and believe. It's not just believe and hang on to your bogus ideas about God. It's repent and believe. It's repent and believe. But the logic is airtight. Don't you you see the logic here? Look at it again. Here's the logic. The action of the first Adam in the garden introduced sin, trespass, breaking God's commandment. That sin, that disobedience of God's commandment, then, as sin then came, it brought death. And, listen to the logic, since death spread to every man, everybody's going to die. Friend, all of us one day will have someone writing a blog about us. What will they say about your death? Al's final days were peaceful. Al's passing was difficult. Al suffered tremendously, but he gave glory to God. What will they say about your final day? But you will have a final day, friend. You will die one day. And what this scripture says is because that's true, and because death is introduced by sin, and not just any sin, but Adam's sin, then therefore Adam's sin is your sin. That's the logic. It's airtight. It's airtight. We sinned, Adam sinned. Because Adam represented us perfectly. The the fancy term for that is called federal headship. Federal headship. We understand the word federal. It comes from the Latin fodeus or covenant. A federal head is like, it's a representative that is yours because of a covenant. I mean, here it's a covenant with God, but we have it in our government, right? We have representatives. We have a federal representative, don't we? Well, we do vote that representative in, but he represents us in Congress. Listen, if you're congressman or congresswoman whom you represent and represent you in Congress, if they vote for us to go to war, guess what? We go to war, whether you want to or not. Our representative, Adam, sadly, voted to go to war with God. And those hostilities began. Here's the difference. Even though we may say, I wouldn't have voted as my, as my voted representative would have voted, listen, all of us would have voted the same thing as Adam in the garden. None of us would have passed that temptation, that probation. None of us. He's our, Adam is our, our, our federal head. His vote to disobey God resulted in the war, the hostilities between God and man. The moment Adam disobeyed God, he died. That's what it says about death here. He died spiritually. He was separated from God. Now, it took a while for him to die physically. But because of that, the moment every human being is born, they're born dead to God. Because of Adam's sin. It's our sin. And then eventually, the proof of that is that we would all die. Another way to think about this federal headship or Adam representing us is something called a power of attorney. Or just think about just attorneys. When when you have a power of attorney, when you give the attorney the right to represent you in court, he represents you. What he says, you say. Make sure you get a good attorney. You don't even have to show up sometimes. My daughter recently uh, had to go to court for something. And uh, I was with her, and I was amazed at all these traffic court attorneys. 
I mean, where were the people? Nowhere. But the attorney says, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. You know, it's like, you know, those people you pay to, you know, don't go to court, give me all your money and I'll get you off the ticket, right? I watched it happen. The attorney had the power to speak for that person. What the attorney did, they did. And they settled it, you know, and they're talking with the police officer. And it's, 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 it's quite a business, actually. Especially in Miami, where people are getting tickets, you know, all the time. That's the idea of Adam being our federal head. Adam is our perfect representative. We are guilty in Adam because we actually sinned in Adam. Friend, do you believe that Adam accurately represented you? Do you agree with God? Oh, consider that carefully. Now, here's the good news. You're waiting for the good news, right? How does this help me understand how justification works? It does. Because of verse 14b. Look at verse 14b. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Here we go. Who was a type of the one who was to come. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. If federal headship is verified by the case of Adam, yes, that's the way it works. And yes, God always looks at us through a representative or a head. And yes, Adam is the head of this portion of humanity. All humanity that is born under sin. Adam's sin. Born dead to God. Okay, if that's true, if his disobedience is my disobedience, hard to swallow, but if that's true, then, friends, then, if there were a second Adam, who would obey perfectly, then it would be possible for God to ascribe that second Adam's obedience, if he were obedient, as my obedience. If this one is true, the bad news, then this one's going to be true. Same principle works. And that is the good news in this. God provided, God provided a second Adam. God provided a second Adam who would represent us in court. God would provide a second Adam who would obey perfectly. God would provide a second Adam who succeeded where the first Adam failed. And if that unrighteousness and that sin and that death is ascribed to us, and it is, then this righteousness, this obedience, this life can be ascribed to those who place their faith in that second Adam. Point two, second Adam grace and life. Friends, it is possible. It is possible. Because Adam, verse 15, did represent us. And so the second Adam, his goodness, his actions represent us. We know that we have the possibility then of escaping the judgment of the first Adam in the sin of the first Adam through the second Adam. Those who are born of the first Adam belong to that humanity. The head of that humanity is Adam. But those who are born again, not of the flesh, but of the Spirit of God, to the second Adam, through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, He is now the head of a new humanity. And for them, Christ's action of obedience on the cross becomes theirs. And the consequences of His actions, Jesus' actions, become theirs. And the life that Jesus gives spreads to all believers, just like the death that Adam brought in spread to all mankind. The scripture is not in our text, but it's a wonderful scripture that verifies what I just said about Jesus' death. 2 Corinthians 5, 14-15 says this, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. There you go. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is the truth. This is how justification works. Both Adam and Christ have affected mankind. Oh, they have. Adam for evil and Christ for good. And that contrast is where Paul goes in verses 15 to 17. Look at contrast number one. Contrast number one under point two. The free gift versus the trespass. Look at verse 15. But the free gift, this is the free gift of righteousness. This is what Christ has done. The free gift is not like the trespass. 
Adam's uh, disobedience of God in the garden. For if many died through one man's trespass, and they did, this is one of those if-then, much more, I want you to see that, much more, much more. You know what the contrast is? Is the free gift is much more powerful than the trespass. Much more had the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The obedience of Christ, his righteousness, this free gift is more powerful than the disobedience of Adam. Oh, church, that is true. Much more is that true for us as believers. Grace overcomes trespass. For where sin abounded, grace does much more abound. Contrast number two. Contrast number two is found in verse 16. And in in the second contrast, we see a contrast between the justification that Jesus' obedience wins and the condemnation that is the penalty for Adam's disobedience. Look at verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought what? Condemnation. And just condemnation. We deserve to be condemned. We sinned Adam's sin. That deserves condemnation because God is just. But the free gift, the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Oh, friends, justification speaks of grace, speaks of God ascribing to us Christ's perfect righteousness and obedience. And then Christ, God putting on Christ, the son, the punishment we deserve, the just, the just. God is justified. He remains just because he justifies the unjust by placing the penalty for our sin, the Adam's sin, on Jesus. He died. He absorbed the wrath of God we deserve. The hostility ceased in Christ, poured out on Christ. The war began there with Adam's sin is won in Christ. God's justice is vindicated in Christ, and then mercy is given. Grace is given in Christ. What good news? Are you in Christ or Adam? Who defines you? Who's the head of your humanity? Which team are you on? That's the question for you this morning. In contrast number three, contrast number three is between life and death. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. For if... Because of one man's trespass, death, look at that, circle that word reigned. We're talking about two kingdoms here. We're talking about two heads of two humanities. We're talking about two kingdoms, man. We're talking about two kingdoms big time. Because death reigned through the one man. Right? One man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Adam, first Adam. Much more. I like that, don't you? Much more. Much more. Much more. 360 slam dunk where I have to duck my head so it doesn't hit the rim much more, okay? Yeah, I know the Gators lost last night, but I'm just imagining they won. (laughs) That doesn't mean anything to you. Whatever is really cool for you, okay? Much more. Will those, wouldn't that be great to be able to get that high up that I have to duck my head when I slam it down? Yeah, right. Much more. Will those who receive the abundance of grace, look at these adjectives, the abundance of grace, much more. And the free gift of righteousness. The free gift is the righteousness that Jesus won through his obedience to go to the cross. The one act of disobedience in the garden is trumped by the one act of obedience, Jesus going to the cross. Through the cross, he made a show of his enemies openly. I believe that's Colossians 2. The shame of the cross wins the day. The weakness of the cross is stronger than the strength of any evil or any man. God triumphs through the cross. What a God we serve. The free gift of righteousness. Okay, so those that are in the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Here's the good news. If because of one man's trespass we die, and we're under the reign of death, we're slaves to death, then through the one man, much more, through the one man, Jesus, listen, 
not only when we receive His righteous gift, His righteousness by faith in the abundance of grace, when we receive this, listen, it doesn't just say we'll live. Notice what it says in 17. Pay careful attention. Words mean something. Okay? For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned, right? Through that one man, now here's the contrast, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, now look, it doesn't say life reigns. That's not what it says. It says they will reign in life. Do you see the difference? That's important. Why? Because Jesus came to restore us to the glory that God intended with Adam, that Adam would reign with him in life under his authority, but reigning with him, exercising God's dominion over creation. This is great stuff. This is the book of Hebrews stuff. Chapter 2. This is God restoring us to what he originally created us to be, ruling underneath him, kings underneath him, sharing in that. This is the whole promise of, in verses uh, 1 through 11, that we're, we're hoping in the glory of God. Rather than being slaves to sin, we're now ruling and reigning, not because we have the authority, but God has. But then he says, come on, you're my people. You're going to reign in life rather than suffer the reign of death over you. What a contrast. What a savior. What a gospel. This is beautiful. This is wonderful. Listen, this is what Kevin Abegg trusted in. This was the ground for Kevin Abegg's confidence when he wrote that he will see his dad, he'll see Bob again. Even when he watched Bob wither and die in dementia, in a wheelchair, in a coma for several days. My confidence is that the grace of Christ, the obedience of Christ, the righteousness of Christ trumps the sin of Adam that is killing my father right now. But one day my father will rise again. One day my father will have a glorified body. One day Bob Abeg will run and laugh and play and, and, and rejoice. No more pancreatic cancer. No more dementia. No more wheelchairs. Now through my tears, I believe that. That's what Kevin was writing. Because Kevin understood that he and his father lived in a new humanity whose head is Jesus Christ, the second Adam, no longer under the old humanity whose head was Adam. So which humanity do you live in? You live in one or the other. John Stott says it this way in the quote, So then, whether we are condemned or justified, whether we are spiritually alive or dead, depends on which humanity we belong to. Whether we still belong to the old humanity, initiated by Adam, or to the new humanity initiated by Christ? Are you part of the new humanity in Jesus Christ, united to Him by faith? Do you call Him Lord? Does grace abound in your life? Is there an abundance of grace, as we read in verse 17, giving you, giving us what we don't deserve, what Christ earned? Will you agree with God, dear unbeliever, this morning? Will you agree with God that Adam did represent you fairly? You got a fair deal in court, right? You know, you ever go to court and the guy says, no, I'm not guilty. I got a raw deal. <laughs> bad attorney, bad judge, bad day, bad hair. I mean, whatever, anything's bad. You know, I'm not guilty. Right. And that's us before the bench of God's heavenly court. Until we just say, Lord, you're right. Adam represented me correctly. His sin's my sin. I'm sorry. I repent. I deserve death. Would you please forgive me? I put my faith in Jesus Christ, who's the head of the new humanity, and I receive his righteousness. I'm not going to any longer try to be good enough to earn this. No. There's an abundance of grace. There's a free gift. And in verse 17, it says that we reign in life. And that's the third point. The reign of grace through the righteousness of Christ. The reign of grace through the righteousness of Christ. Look at verse 18. As Adam's trespass led to condemnation, now we're moving a little bit more into a comparison. Still a little bit of a contrast, but verse 18, a little bit more of a comparison. Therefore, as, as, you don't see the words but, but you see as, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Verse 19, another comparison. 
for as, this is why it's good news that in Adam we all die. <laughs> because if, that's, if federal headship is true there, it's true over here. Over here it's bad news, over here it's good news. Verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, and they were, so by the one man's obedience they will be made righteous. Friends, Jesus' obedience made us righteous. Jesus' obedience, this act of righteousness. In verse 18, see it there? For by one man's act of righteousness, this obedience in verse 19, do you see that? For through one man's obedience... Is Jesus' obedience to the Father's will to go to the cross? Look at Philippians 2.8. Philippians 2.8, speaking of Christ. And being found in human form. This is speaking of Jesus. He, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Whereas God's act of obedience in the garden was where, excuse me, where Adam's act of disobedience in the garden was where Adam exalted himself before God, shook his fist in God's face, and served himself when he said, I'm going to eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, even though you told me not to. Jesus' act of righteousness was, was, was obedience to go to the cross where he humbled himself before God to serve us. And verse 20, oh, verse 20 is an awesome verse. Verse 20 speaks of how much better the grace of God is. Look at it with me. It informs us that the law came to increase the trespass. Now, that shocked the Jews. The Jews would have said that the law came, this is the law of Moses, to repress or to pat down trespasses, right? When you have law, hopefully there's less trespassing. But what Paul is saying here is the law, though it's good... What the law does is it increases trespass. Here's how it increases it. It makes it more blatant when you break the law. We already know from Romans 2 that all humanity is under God's judgment because there is a natural law that people know in their conscience and they break it all the time. But that's kind of like, my kids know kind of naturally, hey, I'm, I shouldn't do that. God gave them a, a, a conscience. And that's bad. And they deserve punishment. Discipline. Lovingly. But when the law comes, suddenly I'm not just breaking a sort of natural law. I'm breaking a law that came right from God's mouth, looked me right in the eyes and says, Thou shalt not covet, Al. Don't want what is not yours. And it begins with your neighbor's wife. It's called adultery. But it can move to your neighbor's house, his car, <laughs> His giftings, his ability to elevate 40 inches off the ground and dunk the basketball. <laughs> That's, it's funny, but you know. When I was younger, I struggled with that. His paycheck. His ministry. What's it for you? When my child breaks a natural law, that's bad. But when I say, my daughter, do not go into that room and touch what I have in the corner. And my daughter may look at me, this is hypothetical, okay? My kids are all out of the house. And says, walks over into the room, opens the door, watch, and while she's looking at me, touches it. That's sin increasing, you got it? <laughs> the trespass just increased. How did it increase? In intensity. In intensity. The law makes it even that much more obvious and blatant. I don't care, God. In your face. From your lips, not to my ears. I'm not doing it. See, that was Adam's. Even though we weren't there, way back in verse 13 and 14, he tried to explain that. We didn't sin in the sin of Adam in that sense, but we did because we sinned his sin. But today, you know, we sin. Everybody's under judgment. But, but the law intensifies the sin because it's right from God's mouth. But look what it says. Look what it says. Now the law came in to increase trespass, but where sin increased. Oh, friends, look at this. Grace abounded all the more. Grace abounded all the more. Here's the good news, that the grace of Jesus Christ trumps the disobedience, the trespass, the death of the law. 
breaking of Adam. Jesus Christ came to give us life, and He came that we might reign in life. Verse 21 is the key point. So that as sin reigned in death, there's that term reign again, there's that two kingdom thing. So as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's Bob Abegg's understanding. Bob is looking at his Savior right now. His soul is with Jesus Christ. I don't understand that. I grieve, Bob. I grieve when people die. I grieve when my father passed. I don't like it when Mike Pincus, my dear friend, passed a few months ago. I grieved. I didn't like it. Mike Pincus is in God's presence. He knows this is true. Are we walking in that grace? I'm going I'm to leave you with this text. Because that grace, remember it says the reign of grace leads us to the throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest, this is Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Oh friend, hold fast your confession. And if you've never made the confession, repent and believe and make the confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Oh, but here's the deal. Yet without sin, second Adam, no sin. And look what he wins for us. Let us then, with confidence, dear friend, draw near to the throne of grace. It's a throne of grace for us, not a throne of judgment. We deserve judgment. Jesus converts it into a throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Let's pray. Worship team, please join me up here. Father, I pray that you would please give us your grace this morning to understand this idea of representation of headship, to understand and agree with you that Adam did fairly represent me. Lord, I I just say, Adam represented me in the garden. He was a fair, good representative. And Lord, his sin was my sin. I confess that. And I pray if there's some in this room that have never confessed that, that they would right now, they would agree with your word. They would agree with what you're saying here. But Lord, I also confess and I put my trust in the second Adam, in Jesus Christ whose obedience to you on the cross took the wrath I deserved, paid the penalty that my sin died, that I might live in his resurrection. He rose that I might be forgiven and I put my faith in Jesus. And there would be those in this room right now, perhaps for the first time, would stop playing the game and would run to Jesus, the second Adam, with heartfelt conviction, repent and believe. And that all of us, Father, Lord, we'd live in this grace, abounding, awesome, unmeasured grace that comes to us through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us. Amen. Let's stand and sing that song.